0: Hey there, future paleontologist. How is everybody doing? Very excited about today's lesson or episode. It is going to be a lot of fun. Got some great questions people sent in. Have some really, really interesting uh, who would win battles. So before we begin, I want to give a shout out to West Bank Library in Austin, Texas. I will be doing a a show for them tomorrow afternoon. And then at the end of this week, I am going to be doing some virtual lessons for Canyon Ridge Elementary, which is in San Antonio, Texas. So this week, it's going to be an all Texas virtual lesson, Uh, virtual lessons, just so that you know, no matter where you are in the world, if you would ever like. To have me do a virtual lesson, you can go to our website, which is dinosaurgeorge.com. And if you go to the website, you'll see uh, in our store, we actually list the virtual lessons in our store because it's something that you can order and pay for uh, that way. Or um, you can just contact us through the website and tell us what it is you are interested in. And I can do a virtual lesson for you. I love doing them. Last week, all the virtual lessons I did last week were all for individuals. So it was a neat present. I think a grandmother bought one lesson for her grandson, then a mom purchased one for her son, and then an uncle purchased one for his nephew. So that was really kind of cool. It was a kind of a small group. For each one of them was just me and and her, which was a lot of fun. I found that to be really fascinating. So that was a lot of fun. So anyway, I wanted to give a shout out to both West Bank Library in Austin, Texas, and Canyon Ridge Elementary, whom I will be speaking to tomorrow and I believe on Friday. For everybody listening to the podcast, we're able to track where people listen. And the majority of you are listening through my website, which I appreciate. When you go to DinosaurGeorge.com, you can listen through the website. <coughs> Excuse me. But you can also find us on Apple Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Tunnel Plus Alexa, uh, Podcast Addicts. I mean, we are on dozens and dozens of different podcast uh, platforms that you can listen to us on. And the only benefit of listening to us through those is that you are immediately notified when we add a new uh, episode. So um, anyway, we appreciate you listening, and we are growing exponentially. I want to tell you guys something that was amazing on December the third. That's kind of when we right right after we had launched this on December the third, we hit uh, a, uh, uh, a a an exciting number. We had had. 100 downloads of our podcast on December the 3rd. So I was very excited because in the span of just a couple of days, we got, we got a hundred different people who downloaded the podcast. And listen, I was very excited. Now here we are, January the, what is today? January the 5th. We are currently at 2,824. So we have just exploded in popularity, and I am thrilled, thrilled about that. I hope you are all enjoying the podcast. I I like that so many of you are now contacting us through both my website page, dinosaurgeorge.com. If you click on the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at the top of the homepage, you'll see a form that you can fill out and you can submit questions. We're getting lots of those. Or there's another way you can submit questions, and that is you can go to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group and join that group, and you can post your questions there. So we're getting lots and lots of questions, and I'm very excited to see that. I'm so happy to see that. And then, of course, if you are a member of our Patreon club, we have three club members, uh, levels, We have the Triceratops Club. It costs a dollar a month. And in that, you can send us your questions for the Ask Dinosaur George segment. You also get a free lesson on Zoom. We do a live Zoom lesson once a month if you are a Triceratops Club member. Then if you are a Raptor Club member, you get two live lessons a month. And of course, you can submit your questions. And then if you're a and that's $5 a month. And then if you're a Tyrannosaurus member, that's $10 a month. And for that, you get two live lessons, but you also get the opportunity to be interviewed on a podcast. We're going to invite Tyrannosaurus members. I've already in, I interviewed one in the last podcast, and I've already got two scheduled for upcoming podcasts. So if you would like to hear your voice on a podcast, you can become a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon Club. And then it also, you are allowed to send in a Who Would Win segment, but that's only reserved. The Who Would Win segment and the interviews are only reserved for those who are a a Triceratops member. So let me just uh, plug the Patreon Club, and then when we come back, we will do our Creature Feature. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. It's time for our Feature Creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your Feature Creature. In this podcast, today's Feature Creature is the biggest snake that ever existed. Titanoboa. What a gigantic creature. Titanoboa in English means titanic boa. Titanic, of course, is a word we use to describe something enormous. And this is the largest known snake, the biggest snake that's ever been known to live. Is it possible that there are bigger ones? Yes, it is. But snakes are very, very hard to find in the fossil record because their bones are not really heavy-duty. Now, Titanoboa, just to give you an idea of the size of this snake, it's 12.8 meters long. That's 42 feet. If you're not sure how long that is, get a tape measure. Ask mom or dad if you're young to help you. And go mark off how long 42 feet is, 12.8 meters. You will be stunned when you see the size of this snake. Next It weighed 1,135 kilograms. That is 2,500 pounds. That's the weight of a bull or a cow, a big one. It was discovered in Colombia, South America, and it lived in the mid to late Paleocene epoch. That's 60 to 58 million years ago. Now, when this snake was discovered, everybody was talking about this was a snake that could eat dinosaurs. But this snake did not live with the dinosaurs. Not that we know of. It really sort of comes along about 5 million years after the extinction of the dinosaurs. So this snake now, certainly, it had ancestors that were living with the dinosaurs. There certainly could have been a cousin of Titanoboa that was eating dinosaurs. There's certainly possible but, you know, I just mentioned how hard it is to find snakes in the fossil record. The problem is, especially with their skulls, their skulls are always very lightly made. That's so that they can open their jaws incredibly wide. So they need movable bones in their skull. They don't, they don't need a big, heavy-duty skull like a mammal or even like a, a lizard. They need a flexible skull. So, therefore, there's not a lot to a snake other than vertebrae. You can't find femurs, you can't find humeruses, you can't find these big, thick, heavy bones because they don't have them. But for right now, Titanoboa, and I always say Titanoboa, I should pronounce it Titanoboa. I'm terrible about that. I do the same thing with, who else do I do it? Argentinosaurus. It's Argentinosaurus. I always say Argentinosaurus, Argentinosaurus. Titanoboa. I need to pronounce these things better. So, Titanoboa is right now the largest known snake that ever existed. Again, it lived about 60 to 58 million years ago. So, right after the extinction of the dinosaurs and the end of the Mesozoic era, starts the Cenozoic era. And this thing was one of, if not the largest predator in its environment. It it lived in a, in what would be a swamp, very similar to parts of let's say like along the panama uh, river there would have it would have been a swampy area very hot very humid year round this snake did not deal with winters it was warm year round probably super hot and because of its size it almost exclusively had to hunt in water sort of more like an anaconda does today yes this is a boa and there's a difference between a boa and an anaconda but Anacondas spend the majority, almost all of their time in the water, where boas spend their time in trees and on land. But because of the sheer size of titanoboa, it needed to be in the water to support that mass. When you are creeping along on the ground and you weigh 2,500 pounds, you are too slow to catch anything. But if you're in the water and water supports your weight, listen, you are a machine. And this thing was a machine. When it wrapped those coils around you, you're done. You know, I read an article once about anacondas. When I was a kid, we were taught that they just squeezed you until you couldn't breathe anymore. But they've discovered that anacondas have the ability to crush your bones as well, crush your ribs, crush your internal organs. And so as big as Titanoboa was, I guarantee you this thing is cracking bones as it's crushing. Think of the amount of pressure that that snake could apply. It is frightening to think something that big would wrap its body around you very quickly, and that would be the end of that. And then it would probably hold you underwater on top of everything else. So what did it eat? Well, it ate turtles. It ate crocodiles or crocodilians, animals that are related to crocodiles. It probably ate, it did eat anything that stepped up near it. If it sat in the water with its body submerged, just waiting for something to step up to take a drink, sort of the way you see crocodiles uh, hunt today, Titanoboa could have coiled himself not in a, in a curled up ball, like you see some pythons but sort of put itself into sort of an S shape so that it's locked and loaded. So when something comes to the water, it just straightens its body and slings itself forward out of the water, grabbing it, pulling it in, wrapping the coils around it, dragging it under the water, and in an instant, the animal's completely helpless. So Titanoboa was absolutely a monstrous top predator of its time. Scientists were thrilled to learn about it. And when they discovered I think it was in a coal mine, they found the evidence of it. All I can tell you is, is that that is the largest snake known to exist. Is it possible they'll find a bigger one? It's certainly possible. But when it comes to the fossil record, snakes are difficult to find. Fortunately for paleontologists, Titanoboa was such a gigantic animal that its vertebrae were big enough to fossilize. And they did find the skull material. That's even more exciting. Because had they not found the skull material, they they may have still been arguing what kind of snake it could have been. But because they found the skull material, which is super rare, they know more about this snake than probably any other uh, prehistoric snake that I'm aware of anyway. So that, my friends is your feature creature and to be honest with you that thing that thing would be terrifying i just can't imagine i cannot imagine what it would be like to be around that gigantic creature all right let's take a little short break and then when i come back we will do some ask dinosaur george questions oh. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at dinosaurgeorge.com. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at DinosaurGeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random, and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right, our first question. A question comes from Rex, age seven, from Austin, Texas. Rex says, why do sailbacks have sails on their backs and not their heads or other body parts? And are they related to dinosaurs at all? Okay, Rex's school, the lesson that I, the virtual lesson that I taught at Rex's school was on the animals of the Permian, which is the time before the age of dinosaurs. And some of those animals had sails on their backs, like Dimetrodon, and Daphosaurus, So Rex's question is about those, those animals. Why do they have those sails on their backs? Why don't they have them on their head and, and on their tails? And are they related to dinosaurs at all? Okay, so your first question, why do they have sails on their backs? Well, Rex, the best we can tell, the evidence suggests, at least with Dimetrodon, that it is a fish-eating animal, meaning that it's probably spending a lot of its time in the water. And if you are spending time in the water, just like on the episode where I talked about Spinosaurus, or I had a question about Spinosaurus, that sail probably helped replace heat, body heat that is lost in the water. When you are standing in the water, the water is, is stealing the heat from your body. Even if the water feels warm, unless the water's the same temperature as your body, and most of us don't go swimming in 98-degree water, um, your body is losing heat. So the sail may have been a way to capture the sun's rays and convert them into energy to warm the body. That's, that's the best guess that I have. So why did they not have them on their head, and why didn't have them on their tail? Well, because the head is the part that's being used for grabbing its prey. And so a sail would actually interfere with that. If you're eating fish, you need to be able to, to grab quickly and move your head quickly and then shake your head from side to side when you catch one to try to kill your fish or whatever it is you're eating. A sail would simply get in the way, so that's not necessary. And then on the tail, the tail can be used as a weapon. And it may have also been a way for them to swim through the water. Maybe dimetrodon's use their tails to swim, And it's certainly possible that Adaphosaurus did the same thing. We have marine iguanas who are vegetarians. So perhaps Adaphosaurus ate a diet of aquatic plants, but also used that sail to warm itself up without having to leave the water. Or maybe even when it left the water, it would still give a much greater area to grab more sunlight. But they don't want those sails on the tail. Because if the tail was used either as a weapon or as a way to move through the water, they don't want to sail because that would reduce its effectiveness. So the sail was located for on the back, which would be the ideal place to put it. Now, you asked, are they related to dinosaurs at all? Well, they are related to dinosaurs in a way because they all, they still have reptilian qualities. So if you go farther back in time you come to those animals who branched off and slowly became what ultimately became dinosaurs. So they are kind of related in a way. They're not closely related. Their legs are completely different. Their skulls are different, but they do. If you go far, far enough back in time, they do have some relationship. Okay. Maka age seven from Dana point, California writes, why are velociraptors killing machines? Okay. Marco, when we use terms like that, those terms are people terms, human terms, not something that would really mean anything to the animals themselves. We just use those descriptive words as a way to emphasize something that the animal can do. Velociraptors are very, very effective hunters because of their body shape and because of their weaponry. So you hear people calling them killing machines as a way to say that thing would have been a very effective hunter. But to call it a very effective hunter isn't a, re- a neat, cool description. To call it a killing machine, most people recognize that as, ooh, this thing is bad. But in science, that's not a term that scientists use, and it's really not a term that, that, that would, would accurately describe anything. The only killing machine would be a robot That kills absolutely everything. That would be a killing machine. No thinking, no reaction, just simply killing everything. So in all honesty, Maka, when you hear those kind of terminologies used to describe an animal, those are just descriptive words. That's a good question. Okay, Uh, Renan, age six, from Houston, Texas. How long was Titanoboa? Hey, how cool is that? What a great great episode for you to write or be included in, uh, Renan. That's real. That's a good question. Of course, that was our feature creature, and he was 42 feet long. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Okay, Aubrey, age seven, didn't tell me where Aubrey lived, but Aubrey said, how many days did dinosaurs live? This is from Aubrey or Ad, Abby, which I guess is your sister. So uh, Aubrey and Abby, how many days did, they, did dinosaurs live? Well, if you're talking about how old could they grow to be, Some people believe Tyrannosaurus has lived to be about 50 years old. Raptors may have lived to be maybe 13 or 14 years old. Maybe duckbills could live to be 50, maybe 60 years old. I've seen estimates of the long-necked dinosaurs living 200 years. One of the difficulties, Aubrey, is that there's no absolute way to say with certainty how old a prehistoric animal is. You can count the growth rings on some bones, but it's not like a tree where it's absolutely crystal clear how long that animal has lived. So it's kind of hard answer to answer or hard question to answer, but I hope that helped you a little bit. Okay. Uh, Gernima, age 11 from Plano, Texas. What happened to the blood of the dinosaurs? Okay. Gurnima. Um, when an animal dies in almost all the instances The soft tissue, which is the skin and the muscles and the cartilage and the eyes and the nose and the internal organs and the blood decompose. They rot or they are eaten by bacteria or by larger animals. So when a dinosaur dies, first thing that's going to happen, if a predator finds it, is a predator is going to eat it. So right away, a lot of the blood is consumed by the predator. But if it's not... Then the blood will be consumed ultimately by bacteria. Now there could be instances where we can find blood in the fossil record, but that would usually be when they are encased in amber. Like for instance, when they find the the um, if they found a, an arm from a dinosaur trapped in amber, uh, they could they could possibly get blood from it. Um, the The biggest problem with blood as it deteriorates. And there's been some arguments that some people say, no, they found fossilized blood. That's not been proven to my understanding. In fact, I think it's been disproven or at least questioned within the science community. But even if you found evidence of dinosaur blood, it would be so deteriorated. I don't know how much information you could really get from it. Could you really get a lot? Could we clone a dinosaur when we find dinosaur blood? Probably not. Because it would be so decomposed, I don't know what good it would do. But I am not an expert when it comes to things like that, so I may have misspoken. Maybe it is a possibility. I just don't believe it is. Okay, and then last question comes from uh, Vagmisha, age 7, from Plano, Texas. Do some dinosaurs drink water? Well, yes, they would, Vagmisha. They absolutely would. Almost all animals require water to survive water's an element that's necessary for most animals to be able to survive. And so all dinosaurs would have had to drink in one way or another. Um you know, is it possible that they that that there was some that maybe tiny ones could have lived just living off of the dew that settles on the plants in the morning like on a on a cool morning when dew they could get enough water from that. Others would have had to step into the water to drink. And, you know, that brings up a good point about drinking dinosaurs. Um, we, my family has raised cows my entire life. So when cows go to drink, the, most of the cows prefer to walk out into the water because drinking near the shore is more difficult because they don't want to suck up mud from the bottom of the river or the stock tank. So they want to walk out into the water where when they drink, it's less likely that they will inhale something else. Dinosaurs probably did that same thing. And that is how giant crocodiles, I think, were able to catch dinosaurs. Giant crocodiles like Dinosuchus and Sarcosuchus, they're gigantic. They can't sit real close to the shore. They've got to be in deeper water to hide their body. So I think dinosaurs drank the same way a lot of modern mammals drink. They like to walk out into the water to drink instead of drinking right along the shore. And so, yes, I believe all dinosaurs had to drink, but I think the big ones may have actually wandered out into the water to get a drink. And if you were a dinosaur and you were wandering around out in the water, if a giant crocodile was around or maybe a relative of Titanoboa, you were in big trouble. All right. Who's ready to fight? Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus terror bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right, fighters, to your corners. Tonight's first who would win battle is sent to me by Bennett, age five, who is a Tyrannosaurus member of the Patreon club. Okay, I promise everybody, this was not planned. This was not planned. I just saw this right now. Bennett's who would win is Titanoboa versus Archelon. (laughs) That's... That's crazy. I promise you guys this was not planned. Bennett, you couldn't have asked a better question at a better time. All right, Titanoboa, as you are all aware, was a giant, the world's largest known prehistoric snake. Archelon is the world's largest turtle. Archelon is a giant marine, meaning living in the ocean, sea turtle. Now, Archelon is enormous. Titanoboa is titanic. These are two heavyweights. The one thing Archelon has in its favor is that no matter how hard Titanoboa would try to wrap its coils around and squeeze, that's like squeezing a suit of armor. Archelon's shell is incredibly heavy-duty. Incredibly heavy-duty. I don't even know... If Titanoboa would be able to crack that shell, and if Titanoboa cannot crack that shell, it's never going to beat Archelon. Archelon could just sit there and just tell the snake, you know what? Let me know when you're tired because I'm not having trouble breathing. You're not squeezing my lungs. You're squeezing my house and my house don't hurt. So I think Archelon is way, way heavy duty for Titanoboa. Now, earlier when I was talking about Titanoboa and I said it ate turtles, it ate turtles, but it wasn't eating turtles the size of Archelon. It was eating turtles that was small enough that even if it couldn't crush the shells, which I think they probably could, they could still fit their mouth over and swallow it. I don't think Titanoboa could ever open its jaws wide enough, even if it could crack that shell of Archelon and kill it. I don't think it could ever even get Archelon in in it. It's just too immense. So in my opinion, Bennett, this fight is going to go to Archelon, who's going to beat our feature creature, poor Mr. Titanoboa. Okay, Gabe, age 7, who lives in Georgia and is a Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, member of the Patreon club. Gabe writes, and by the way, uh, Bennett, Gabe, glad to hear from both of you. Uh, Gabe writes... Who would win, T-Rex versus Carnotaurus or Irritator versus Spinosaurus? He sent me two. Let's start with T-Rex versus Carnotaurus. In this corner, we have the king of the dinosaurs, one of the most powerful bites in the dinosaur kingdom, teeth like railroad spikes, the size of bananas, 12 inches of solid, gigantic armor piercing shells in its mouth. In the other corner, we have Carnotaurus, whose only opportunity to win is to stay away from the skull of that Tyrannosaurus Rex. If Carnotaurus can keep running around behind him where T-Rex can't turn fast enough, maybe Carnotaurus would inflict enough injuries to where T-Rex would just say, enough, fight over. But I don't think he's ever going to kill Tyrannosaurus Rex. T-Rex is just simply too gigantic. As for your second battle, Irritator versus Spinosaurus, these two are cousins. They probably don't like each other very much because cousin dinosaurs don't get along so well. I don't think they like each other very much. In, uh, In one corner, Spinosaurus, of course, it's got the size. It's got the overwhelming size. It's enormous compared to Irritator. Irritator's big. But you're talking about the difference between, I think, 32 feet Irritator and Spinosaurus, I think, is close to 50. So Spinosaurus outguns this guy in every way. Bigger claws, bigger jaws, more power, more strength. In this particular fight, Irritator has a chance. If Irritator can stay out of the jaws of Spinosaurus or stay away from those claws of Spinosaurus, Irritator might win. Let me tell you this. Irritator may have had longer legs than Spinosaurus. Even though it's a smaller dinosaur, Irritator may have been faster. So maybe I shouldn't be so quick to, to, to crown Spinosaurus as the winner in this fight. This is a good one, Gabe. i got to think about this a little bit more. I'm going to say that my gut feeling tells me Spinosaurus wins, but Irritator might come a little harder with more weaponry than I'm giving it credit for. And finally, the last one, this one comes from Noah, my buddy Noah, who has sent me the best who would win. And this one is insane. Dino Crocuda versus the giant bear dog. Now, if you are unfamiliar with these two animals, these are both mammals. Dino Crocuda looks like a hyena on steroids. And the bear dog is this gigantically powerful dog that looks and acts like a bear. These two animals are enormous. Both have unbelievably powerful jaws. Both are big. If there's one advantage in this battle, I believe the bear dog has it because it has claws. Dino Crocuda does not have the kind of offensive claws that would be used in a battle. Dino Krokuda is going to rely on those jaws. If that thing clamps down, it's not letting go. But the bear dog has the same kind of heavy-duty jaws, but it also has claws. So in my opinion, in this particular battle, winner is the bear dog. Because it's just too ginormous all right my friends that wraps up this episode um i don't know if you're gonna have time to to hear this before this or not but let me just let me jump to my calendar because i've got a cool event scheduled okay on friday january the 8th at 5 p.m central time 5 p.m central time january the 8th that's a friday evening I'm going to record another podcast, but I'm going to do it live on Facebook. I'm going to do a Facebook live broadcast of me recording the podcast. So if you'd like to see what it's like, I mean, it's not going to sound any different when you hear it, but one of the benefits is if you go on to Facebook and you see it, you can submit questions through Facebook that I will answer at the end during the ask dinosaur George segment. So You will hear this on two places. There is the Dinosaur George Facebook page and the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page. You can watch it on either one. It's going to be simulcast to both. You can watch it on either one. And if you would like to watch it being recorded, which I don't know how exciting that's going to be, but the benefit is that if you hear it or if you join us, You can submit questions to me during the podcast that I will answer. And just to give you a sneak preview, the feature creature for that episode is Megalodon. The biggest shark that ever lived. So if you want to be part of it, please make sure if you want to follow it on Facebook You can either like the Dinosaur George Facebook page or you can join the Dinosaur George Kids group page and you can watch it live. That again is January the 8th, 2021 at 5 p.m. Central Time. So you have to find out which time zone you're in and have your parents, if you're young, have your parents help you figure out what time that would be for you. Because if you lived in New York City, that would be six o'clock for you. If you lived in California, that would be 4 o'clock for you. So, and depending on where else you live, because we have listeners from Germany and all over the world. So, um, anyway, that's it for today's podcast episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Be safe, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Be kind to everybody around you. And if you know somebody who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it with them, because I want to see those numbers grow. Until Friday, take care, everybody.